Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, so we're uh, here in episode eight. Jesus has been rejected at Nazareth um, back in Mark chapter six, and he has sent out the twelve, and they've come back again, and um, we've seen him providing for people, providing for the twelve on their journey, uh, spreading the word, and providing for the five thousand who are listening to him. Um, then Jesus walks on the water and is healing various people. So Jesus is powerful, and his teaching is continuing to spread. But we're going to see some more opposition to Jesus in this chapter, even though he's able to do all these powerful things. Um, it's going to contradict what some people expected him to be because of their traditions. Yep. All right, well, let's read uh, Mark chapter 7. We're picking up here in verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that are defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Okay, so another run-in with the Pharisees. We saw Jesus having some pretty regular run-ins with the Pharisees back in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 as well. And here they are again. Uh, they, there's the Pharisees, the scribes. They gather around him when they had come out of Jerusalem, and they notice that Jesus' disciples are eating their food with unwashed hands. Yeah, so this reminds us a little bit of like way back in chapter 2 where they're questioning Jesus because like, like why aren't your disciples fasting or doing right. things like that they were traditionally used to doing. Yeah, and so uh, the Mark goes on and he kind of inserts himself and he explains to us what all this would mean. So the Pharisees and the Jews in verse 3 they did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. What's that about, Stephen? Yeah, so, I mean, these are Jews. And in places like, I think it's Leviticus 11, if I remember correctly, that God had given them all these food laws. There are clean foods and there are unclean foods. I mean, most people who have heard of the Bible have heard of like the weird Old Testament laws, like no shellfish and stuff like that. Right, right. There's different clean and unclean foods. 
And that was for the purpose of those laws was to set them apart from other people. And there was, there were good purposes for those laws. But in the New Testament, we see that the Jews have been wanting to keep those laws. But in addition to the laws themselves, they set up kind of a whole system where they would wash their hands and make sure that like nothing that they touched had touched something unclean. And so you like, you end up touching something unclean. It's touched something unclean. And then you touch your food and then you eat the food. And even if it's clean food, it's become unclean because you didn't wash your hands basically. So this is called the traditions of the elders here. And wasn't there another name for that? That It's like not scripture, but it's something that they did. What was the name of that? I mean, they're just called traditions here. And so it's interesting because this is not wrong to wash your hands. I mean, now we know about germs and all this. I mean, obviously please wash your hands before you eat. I mean, this is a good, a good thing to do. But right now, they're looking at Jesus and his disciples like they're crazy because they're not holding to the tradition of the elders. Notice that carefully in verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And so Jesus' response is quite scathing. I mean, he comes back here and he's quoting uh, Isaiah 29, verse 13. And he says, you're hypocrites. You have lip service to God, but your heart is far away from him. And you're worshiping him in vain because you're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, doctrine is just a word that means like teaching. But here it's basically saying like you're treating your traditions as though it is the word of God. Yeah, and Jesus has an obvious problem with that. Uh, that's You can't just insert yourself as God. That's what you're doing when you're saying that this thing that I made up is just as important as the commandments of God. That's right. You're putting yourself in the position of God. Yeah, and this is so easy to do, and it's so prevalent. I mean, if you just look at religious history, there's a lot of people who say, well, we'll take some of God's things, but we think we have some good ideas too, and so we're going to put that in there and... Let's just preach it like it's all the word of God. And I mean, and again, here, I think this may have started out as something sincere. Sure. Like, yeah, like we want to be careful to keep God's law. So let's wash our hands. But at some point along the way, they got confused as to which one was actually from God and which one was just a tradition that might have been helpful, but they shouldn't have been getting on to Jesus and his disciples for not washing their hands. And this is such a helpful conversation to see Jesus having because there are traditions we do um, at our church, and maybe there's some traditions that you're a part of at your church. But we have to start asking ourselves, A, are those traditions in line with what God's word says? Mm -hmm. But secondly, am I holding those traditions just as as high as I would God's word? That's right. It can be really easy to make those mistakes. Yeah, because there's going to be two or really maybe even three kinds of traditions mentioned in this section. Uh, The first is this washing of hands, which was a tradition from the elders of the Jews. It was not a harmful tradition, but it was wrong for them to bind it on Jesus and his disciples as though it was from God, because it wasn't. So that sometimes we can have traditions that aren't wrong in and of themselves, but when we start to treat them like the word of God, we become hypocrites. Right. And that's a huge problem in Jesus's book. But even more than that, in the section right after this, starting in verse nine, he mentions something even more blatant that they were doing. 
Because God said, honor your father and your mother. I mean, this is like top 10, right? This is like 10 commandments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so they had this tradition called Korban. Without getting into like the whole history of it, it's basically where, well, mom and dad are in trouble, maybe financially or whatever. They, they need something from me, some help, maybe financially. But they had this tradition of like, oh, well, I'm going to treat this money or this property or whatever it was as though I've given it to God. It's consecrated. So sorry, mom and dad, I'm not going to help you out because I've got this tradition. And the thing is, the tradition may have made them look real holy to other people. It's like, oh, look at him, like giving these things to God and consecrating. Yeah. Oh, wow. He's even willing not to help out his own parents because of his dedication to God. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Jesus this is upside down. Jesus flips that around. He's no, he's like, no, that's actually pretty messed up. Like yeah. you need to honor them. You can't just pass up an opportunity to help them because of this tradition of yours. That's not right. That's right. This is in a, this is, so this is a tradition that isn't just like, well, that's harmless. No, this is actually actively harmful and even sinful. Because they are negating a direct command of God to honor their father and their mother. And it's powerful to see Jesus handle the Pharisees like this. He calls out their hypocrisy and their evil deeds. And Mark does a good job of highlighting it. You really see it in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is constantly going back and forth with the Pharisees. But when you, when you picture Jesus, I do just want to ask, how do you picture him? Do you picture him as somebody who's happy-go-easy? And, you know, there's moments in Scripture where you see that. Or do you see this type of Jesus, this side of Jesus, where he is going to call out sin and hypocrisy when he sees it? Mm-hmm. We need to see both sides of that. That's right. We have to have the whole Jesus, yep. the, the, the gentleness and the, and the heart yes. when, he, when he comes down. So just like this has been helpful to me. I heard this presented this way one time. When we think about traditions, there's kind of three kinds of traditions we can think about. And one is traditions that are from God or from his apostles, from Jesus, the apostles. And this is what we have in scripture. If it is a tradition that's from an apostle, and it's like, this is, this is what you need to do. Well, yeah, we need to keep that tradition because it's not just a tradition. It's a command from God. And that's what we need to, to be doing. And if we're not doing that, we're in trouble. So it's good and right. And then there are two other kinds of traditions that are from men, one of which is not a problem unless we bind it on somebody, the other of which is actually sinful. So the second type of tradition is something that's from man, but it's not harmful. It's not contradicting anything that's from God. But we have to be really careful to distinguish when we're talking with other people that like, okay, like this is something that we do. It's a tradition, but it's not like from God. Sure. So don't feel like you have to do it this way. With the hand washing, that was okay for them to do, but it wasn't okay for them to teach other people like you have to do this. Yeah. And you're in sin if you do not do this. Right. Exactly. And then the third category is these wrong traditions that, yeah, the traditions, maybe even the elders do them, but it contradicts the word of God and holding to that tradition actually puts you in sin. It puts you in the wrong. You're not taking care of your mom and your dad or whatever it is. And so this section is just really helpful because whenever we hear a teaching, whether it's at at church or from friends or whatever, we have to kind of run it through is which, which of these categories does that fit into? Is this teaching a teaching that is from scripture, it's from the Lord? Or is it a tradition that's like, well, okay, like that's one way to do it, but we shouldn't make 
make everybody do it that way? Or is it something that, well, a lot of people do it this way, but it actually contradicts what God said. And we have to be really diligent about that. Yeah. And traditions are tricky, man. Like my great grandmother used to do this, this, and this, and this. Right. So that's why I do it now. It's really tricky and hard once we become convinced that a tradition is wrong to set that aside. Mm-hmm. But the followers of Jesus, they need to be willing to do that if they become convinced of it. That's exactly right. I mean, again, this was the elders. These are people from Jerusalem. This is kind of like the Jewish headquarters. And if you went against the elders, man, I mean, you get thrown out of the synagogue. Sure. There's big deal stuff. And we have to be willing to stand alone sometimes when we realize that the traditions, maybe even the traditions we've been raised in, go against the traditions that are from God or from the Bible. We have to be people who are like, I'm going to be teaching the word of God. I'm going to follow the word of God. And we've all got to be teachable. We've got to be open to correction when we realize, wow, I, um, I've been following traditions, but they're not the traditions of God. I got to get back on track. Yep. Got to be diligent. That's right. So this next section really flows in well to it. So let's go ahead and read verses 14 through 23. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of covenant and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Yeah, so this section, I mean, really all goes together. We could have just read verses 1 through 23 as just one big section. Because as Jesus often does, he's encountered a specific scenario where they're worried about washing their hands and stuff. But Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and says, listen, you guys are so worried about accidentally touching some food and then you eat the food, you know, you have unwashed hands and now you're going to be ceremonially unclean. You're going to be defiled because of what you ate. And Jesus says in verse 15, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, again, the disciples are initially confused about this. Like, what What is he, what are you talking about? But, and I, I appreciate them asking Jesus. We see that right. again. They're going to ask him, what does this mean? And you know what Jesus does? He, he rebukes them a little bit at first for their lacking of understanding, but then he goes on to explain exactly what it is. That's right. And so he's going to say, listen, what you eat is not the big deal that you have thought that it was. And actually here, this is kind of fascinating that Jesus declares all foods clean. Yes. And this is kind of a parenthetical from Mark writing, uh, but it's still part of the text. This is what Jesus is teaching, where he says in verse uh, 18, 
Uh, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. So this is, again, kind of a little down payment of, like, there's a new covenant coming that is different from the ceremonial laws of the old covenant. And it's about the heart. It's not just about the external food laws or whatever, but it's about keeping your heart pure and your heart clean. Right. And so he says... What comes out of a person, this is verse 20, is what defiles him. And from within, out of the heart of man, come, and then he's got one of these lists. Um, there's lots of lists in the New Testament, yes. sometimes of good things, like the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and there's lots of lists of bad things, and this is one of the lists of bad things. But the point Jesus is making here is each of these things starts in the heart. Right. Take the Take one of the pretty early on ones in verse 21, murder, for instance. When somebody commits murder, it's not just always an impulsive decision that they've never thought about ever in their life once before. It could be an impulsive decision, but still in their heart, maybe with some anger, greed, lack of self-control problems that then prompted them to act out in this way. There was a heart problem that then manifests itself outwardly. You are what you eat is the idea here. And so in like the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, uh, Jesus is going to say like, well, don't just not kill somebody. <laughs> don't hate them. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to kill somebody, you have to be hating them for a while before sure. you do that. He's going to say, don't just not commit adultery, but don't lust. Don't look to lust. And so Jesus traces sin back to its layer, so to speak. He's yeah. saying, don't just like not do the big thing, but don't do the stuff that leads up to the sin because you're already sinning. And we call Jesus the master teacher, and this is exactly why. He gets to the heart of an issue, no pun intended, but he really wants to make us think through why we're acting in the ways that we are and then correct those problems. Yeah. So evil thoughts, and the next thing is sexual immorality or mm-hmm. fornication. Yeah. Um, so this is the word that talks about uh, unlawful sexual activity. Yeah. Sometimes I've heard it described as illicit sexual intercourse. Even. Right. So. It's a pretty broad term, but also specific to sleeping with someone else that you're not married to, um, right. whether it be a man or a woman, depending or regardless of your sex. It's acting out in a sexual way. Yeah, that's right. So theft, obviously, stealing things, murder, adultery. Again, Ten Commandments type stuff here. We understand these. But then verse 22 gets a little deeper. It talks about coveting. And again, that was also one of the Ten Commandments, but that was still like you could like never steal your neighbor's goat. But you could covet his goat or his servant or his field or whatever. Or you know, his like, wife. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so he's like, don't desire these things. It goes back to like the evil thoughts at the beginning. Um, wickedness in general. I mean, man, that's a lot of things in that category. Deceit. So, so no lying. Um, sensuality, which is a little interesting because it's not quite the same as fornication. But it's still this idea of like impurity and just indulging the desires of your body mm-hmm. in a way that's not right and not healthy and sinful in this case. And then he turns to some interpersonal things. Uh, envy, where you know we're jealously desiring what somebody else has. Um, slander, where we're using our words to cut other people down. And this is, I would say, one of the more difficult ones in our society right now, where yeah. just everywhere you turn, whether it be politicians or whether it just be in the office, where we are just wanting to talk someone else down to build ourselves up. Mm-hmm. And it roots, it comes back to the root of the next one, and that's pride. Uh, we're arrogant people. We want 
to stand up for for ourselves. And so a lot of times that manifests itself in a lot of the sins that Jesus has already listed. Yeah. And he says foolishness here at the end. That's not talking about just like, oops, I did something foolish. But he's talking about like, uh, like intentionally doing something you know is against God's wisdom. Right. And he says all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So he's saying like, you guys are so worried about being externally clean with your hands and your food and stuff. But what you need to be focusing on is getting your hearts clean. That's what you need to focus on. Yep. And I mean, let's call it what it is. This is sin. Jesus is calling out what sin is. And so we need to take that seriously. And if these are things we're involved in, we need to stop. We need to quit. That's right. So this kind of leads into the next uh, account here. We're going to have uh, another miracle of Jesus. This one's a little different because he goes away from where he's been doing most of his miracles. Most of his miracles are being done in Galilee, uh, by the Sea of Galilee, kind of the north part of um, Israel. So in verse 24, this is Mark 7, 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. So we had a little bit of a break from some miracles where we're told about some of the things Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees and so forth. But we'll come back to another miracle. But this miracle is a little bit different from the others. And it's because of the person who he does this miracle for. She is a Gentile woman, and um, it's a really interesting story. Yeah, so Tyre and Sidon are to the north of Galilee. So, like, he spent a little bit of time that one time when he, like, cast out the pigs on, like, the far side of the sea, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Now he's gone, like, up north. This is Gentile territory. And, again, he tries to stay hidden, but, like, the word gets out all over the place. And so this woman, this Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, Syria and Phoenicia are both regions up to the north and she's just pleading. And I mean, having two daughters, I, I can't imagine the desperation of this woman having her little daughter who has an unclean spirit. And what's fascinating about this is the way Jesus responds to her. Yeah, let's read that again. He said to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yeah. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe what Jesus is saying is that the Jews are the children and the Gentiles are the dogs. I think that's kind of the implication here. And what's shocking about that, I mean, this is obviously shocking to us. I don't think this would have been as shocking to the Jews in that day because they had no dealings with the Gentiles. Right. They just treated them as this like nasty, filthy, like we do not mess with these people from other nations. Yeah, they're so, unclean, just like what we were talking about earlier. Right, yeah. right. And so Jesus, in some ways, treats this woman as a Jew would have typically treated this woman. And in some ways, I think he's testing her faith. 
and seeing how she's going to respond. If she's going to take offense at him or if she is going to persist in her faith. Now, Jesus knows this woman's faith. Sure. And I think he's doing this in part to test the woman's faith. I think he's also doing it in part to show his disciples how crazy it is. The tradition that they have, so to speak, of treating the Gentiles with such contempt. And so this woman, amazing faith, she uses the same analogy back to Jesus and says, Yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And so she takes the insult and kind of says, Listen, I, I don't care. I just need your help and I'll take the crumbs from the table if that's what I've got. You know, like amazing faith from this woman to not be offended at what Jesus said. And Jesus, of course, says to her, um, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And just incredible that Jesus is able to do this. And again, here's another long distance healing, apparently, that the daughter is not there. And he just says the word. And that demon's gone. So this brings us to the last story in Mark chapter 7. Um, and again, kind of tying together some of these things, it's interesting to see how Jesus has so far been coming down on the hard-heartedness of the Jews. Their great willingness to keep their own traditions, including the treatment of the Gentile people. But the power that it is when we look at our hearts, cleanse our hearts, and the power of faith to look past things that might be offensive to us so far. Yeah, so let's read verses 31 through 37. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So he comes back from up north uh, where he healed this uh, Gentile woman. And he comes back to the region of the Sea of Galilee. Now it's near the Decapolis. If you kind of break that word down, Deca, Ten, Polis, City. This is a region of ten cities. Most of it is on the east side of the Jordan, but there's kind of this little section that's up near the Sea of Galilee. So it's probably, again, in generally Jewish territory here. But he says, um, well, there's this man who comes to him, and he's got two issues. He can't hear, and he can't speak, or at least not speak well. And so this would be kind of difficult, because generally Jesus has been talking to people to heal them and say, like, hey, your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk. Or... And, I mean, it might go without saying, but, I mean, sign language now is a pretty well-developed science and system. <laughs> right. Back then, they didn't really have that same type of system. And so you kind of sympathize for the guy by asking, does he even really know what's going on? Like, you can't hear. You can't really talk. Wh where are these people taking me? Wh who is this person that I'm standing in front of? 
Yeah, and so he comes to him, and and again, this seems really weird, but like he puts his fingers in his ears and has some spit and touches his tongue. And I think the idea here is though is that Jesus is showing him like I'm the one that's healing yeah. you. You've got yeah. these ear problems and this mouth problem. I'm taking care of it. Exactly. Yeah. And so he looks up to heaven and he sighs and he says, and again, this is one of the places where Mark uses an Aramaic word. Jesus would have been speaking Aramaic. And so it's the actual word. So this is kind of vivid. Like he says this word, ephaphtha. It's kind of hard to pronounce for us. But you think about this. This is like the first thing this guy would have heard. Mm -hmm. The first word is this word that means be opened. And, And notice Jesus looks up to heaven. Mm-hmm. Who is he crediting this wonderful miracle to? Who is he trying to help this guy understand is doing this? God. Yeah. God is doing this. That's right. Yeah. So that's kind of another piece of the sign language. It's like, all right, fingers in the ears, spit on the tongue. Look at Looking up. All right. I'm you. This is the power of God healing you. Um, be opened. And he is opened. And then ironically, with his newfound vocal ability, Jesus says, and don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about this already in the Gospel of Mark in previous episodes. But Jesus, I mean, he's already having trouble staying hidden. When he was all the way up in Tyre, even then, they find him in the house. <laughs> and like he, he's having a very hard time keeping these things quiet. And so he doesn't want them to spread it further. But it says the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Um, and that's just powerful to think about the will that these people had to just take this message about Jesus everywhere they went. They're astonished in verse 37 and say, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And so this is a powerful miracle of Jesus. But as with all the miracles of Jesus, it's helpful to think about what's the point. Jesus has been dealing with a lot of people so far and in the next chapter as well who have closed ears and closed mouths. They're not listening to Jesus. They're not understanding. But Jesus has the ability to open our ears and to open our mouths. There's some of us who are perfectly willing to listen to Jesus and believe what he says. We have a very hard time opening our mouths and telling people about the great things God has done for us. And Jesus is here saying, I'm trying to, I have come to open people's ears and then to open their mouths. And it is quote back in verse 16. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Mm-hmm. We hope you're listening to the word now and being convicted as we are to make changes in your life and, and to want to learn more about Jesus. So we're glad that you were able to listen and think through these things today. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we're going to get into chapter 8. And we're going to see a couple more miracles. Uh, primarily, Jesus is going to feed 4,000. So we'll see another. Familiar. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see that again. And then Jesus is going to heal a blind man. And really the big theme of that is going to be seeing Jesus clearly. And so we'll talk about that more, Lord willing, next week. Yeah, just like he's dealing with some closed ears in this chapter, he's going to deal with some closed eyes spiritually. And there's going to be some really fascinating things here in, uh, in the next chapter. Thank you so much for listening to the episode today. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, uh, please subscribe, rate, review. Um, again, if you're interested in some of the community Bible readings that we're doing with studies like this one, look us up on CapitalCityChristians.com. If you'd like to reach out to us personally, um, call us at 717-585-0949 or send us an email at CapitalCityChristians at gmail.com. 
Thanks so much for listening to